Let's go to a familiar text now. Not the Gospel of John, but the first epistle of John, chapter 1. I'm going to read the entire epistle, I mean the entire chapter of 1 John, chapter 1. And then I'm going to focus on verses 8 and 9. So let's now hear God's word from the Apostle whom Jesus loved, Apostle John, from his first epistle, chapter 1. Hear now, dear people of God, his word to you. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. Do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. May God bless this this reading to our hearts and minds. Once again, Lord Jesus, we are thankful to be here. We're thankful to be in your presence, always in your presence, but in this particular way, a people set apart by thee, by thy grace, filled with thy spirit, to come and, and worship thee in spirit and in truth. And that's what we're doing now. Bless this word now to us all the more through the reading and now the hearing of it. In your name we ask this, Lord Jesus, be here, be present now, we pray. Amen. Okay, so as I said, I'm going to focus on verses 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are three things that emerge quickly from these verses. The first is confession, if we confess, right? That's the main point. That's the center point here. So I'm going to talk about confession and what it is and what it's not, mainly what it is. So, well, that's going to be my first point. Then I'm going to talk about truth and the lie. Because in the uh, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That is, we become a liar. We become a liar to ourselves and to others. And the truth, which is opposed to the lie, which is the opposite of the lie, is, uh, is not with us. It was not in us. So, I'm going to talk about truth and lie. And then finally... I'm going to talk about confession, what it does. What true confession. I'm not talking about false confession or quick confessions or no confessions, but confession. What does it do? 
Listen to the, the verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. So, true confession brings forgiveness and cleansing. Both. There's difference. Cleansing is not the same as forgiveness. But both are there. Just like when you're saved, the coin of salvation, the the coin of conversion is the grace of faith and repentance. You have to have both. You can't can't say I have faith and no repentance. You can't say I have repentance and no faith. So this goes together too. If we confess, then we are forgiven and we are cleansed. So we want to make a distinction there as well. So we have all that to do now. But before I come to confession, I want to just point out uh, what uh, Professor Huxima said back in 1939. He was a Dutch theologian. And he, he points out from this chapter here, from these verses, that John had a message, right? He says right here uh, in verse 5, this then is the message. So God gave John a message. Uh, what was that message? Uh, which we have heard of him and declare to you. Okay, so the message is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to bring light and life, eternal life, to a people, not a people, become people of God through faith in him and in his sacrifice, okay? But the message that he's given, you see, John is saying that we, in the first verse, that we heard him, we seen him, we looked upon him, our hands handled him, we came to know that this is the word of life. But the message is, needs to be declared. The message is the glad tidings, the glad tidings of the gospel, the centerpiece of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is that message? That message is that light has come into the world. And with that light has come dark, uh, uh, has come life, even eternal life. And this is the truth. There is truth and there is falsehood. The truth is that the light has appeared. And we have declared it unto you. This is the tidings that we have been given. This is the glad tidings that we have been given. Light, light and liberty in Jesus Christ forever and ever. So now you need to know through our declaration, through our speaking, what we declare to you is that you need to go to the light. You need to go towards the light and away from the darkness. And when you go towards the light, you begin to discover, you do discover that you have fellowship with God. In the light, there is fellowship with God because God is light and there is no darkness whatsoever in him. But walking in the light, by walking in the light, we have fellowship with him and also with each other, says the apostle. But now we're in this world. What is walking in the light do? What is it to us? See, we are walking in this world and we are walking in the light with sin. Right? Because we only have a small beginning of the new obedience, as Heidelberg says. We walk in the light with sin. See, if you walk 
in darkness with your sin, you walk according to the lie. If you walk in light with your sin, there's something you need to do. Something that needs to happen. Right? The world walks with their sin in darkness. They walk in a dark direction, in the wrong direction. But we walk with our sin in the light. Well, what does that light do for us? What does that mean for us? If we walk in the light, we confess our sins. That's what walking in the light, according to the epistle here in first chapter, according to the Apostle John, means. When we walk in this world in the light with our sins, we confess them. That's what walking in the light does for us. It causes us to confess. And when we confess our sins, truly confess, we find that we are forgiven all our sins and cleansed from all unrighteousness. This is how it works. So, let's talk about now we've come to the point, to the the position to talk about confession. What, What is this confession? And this is very tricky because, you see, by nature, we don't want to confess our sins. We don't like to confess our sins. We like the darks. We love the darks. We long for the darks because it is our fallen nature to do so. And that hasn't changed. That's why we're dying. Because we have sin. Because we have fallen nature. I'm going to die. So, we are all prone to walk in darkness and therefore to say, I don't have sin. Now, it's, again, it's not that simple. Let's just say, I want to point out first of all, and Huxman does this too, uh, and others, that this is not just a theology. This is not just dogmatic. It's not just a teaching. You know, a lot of preachers like to teach from the pulpit. And, you know, a lot of people like teachers. You know, they like history lessons. They like little stories being told. Well, this is not this. I'm not that way. Right? I'm a heart-to-heart preacher as well as a head-to-head. I don't make mistakes, not too many. You know, stumble over my words a little bit. But theologically, I don't make mistakes. But this is more than a theology. This is more than a theological statement. Let's just prove that. Well, you've all heard of perfectionism, Right? Now, the perfectionist says that when you become saved and you accept Christ into your life, uh, that all your sins are washed away, all your guilt is washed away, and you're perfect at that moment. Most perfectionists don't go that far. They say, well, it's possible for you to achieve perfection in this life. Perfection in doctrine, I suppose, and perfection in practice, mainly practice. That's what they say. And so that is wrong. Right? It's wrong because, well, it's, it's, it's simply an untruth. It's simply people who are perfectionists or believe that they can become perfectionists, whether they do, they minimize their sins. They don't get into what sin is. They don't get into the larger catechism of the Westminster Standards and find out what each of the commandments really truly mean, what it forbids and what it permits. People don't want to do that. Hey, you don't want to do that. Because it's too convincing and convicting. It can't be true. Go ahead. Read the larger catechism of the Western Sea for yourself. And see if you don't say that a dozen times or more. You don't like it. 
Well, you see, the perfectionist says, well, I don't like to, I don't believe that I, that I can't be perfect. I can be perfect uh, in this life. And so they begin to minimize their sins, rationalize them away, excuse them away. And so they don't get into sin because they'll focus on sin. They focus on their perfect perfection. And what that does is it blinds them to their sin. And they're living sinful lives, and they're allowing their kids to live sinful lives, and allowing people in their churches to live sinful lives, and they don't see it. In fact, saying that I can be perfect in this life is a sin, a big, fat sin. But, you know, none of us are perfectionists, right? We don't believe in perfectionism. We, we realize that no one can achieve perfection in this life, in doctrine or in practice, right? We all are straight on that. We all are straight on the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for our sins, to cleanse all our guilt away. We have that straight, don't we? So, is that what confession is? Confession is the fact that, yes, I know I have sinned, and because of my sin, Jesus went to the cross to die. Well, that's dogma. Everyone knows that. That's a Christian. So, that's not confession. To say, I'm a sinner. That's not confession. That's dogma. Anybody could say that. Anyone that's saved or even the unsaved could say that. See, this is the problem with confession, with what people think of confession at this point. Well, we're not perfectionists. We know we're not going to minimize sin and make it go away. We know that Jesus died for our sins and all that stuff, and I have sinned and fallen short of his glory, and we know all those scriptures and all that stuff. But that's not confession. That's not what John means by this word in the Greek. I'll come to that in a minute. See, we're all willing to say, yes, I sin. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I know my children are uh, are sinners. And my grandchildren are sinners. That's not the problem. The problem is, yeah, but Peter, you have sinned. You have sinned. See, it's personal. When someone tells me that I have taken the name of the Lord my God in vain by saying this G O, uh, uh, oh my G O D, and you point that out to a young person, for example, or one, maybe a member in your own family, and you say that you are taking the Lord's name in vain, that's worse than saying F U C K or S H I T. You realize that? Oh, I don't know, no, no, no. See, then we start making excuses. And when we start making excuses and rationalizations for ourselves, for others, our family members and all that stuff, we are in effect saying, I don't have sin. That's what's happening with confession. That's how serious this is. It's, you have to take it personally. I personally said, I... You know, big thing is the Sabbath, right? I brought that up a number of times. People always, you know, get a little shifty on that one. Because you break the Sabbath every Sabbath, you know, and you allow your children to break and your grandchildren to break, and you'll say a darn thing. 
in effect, you're saying, I haven't sinned. That's what you're saying. I have no sin here. I haven't sinned. You may have rationales. You may have this theologian agree, but you may have this teacher. You know, it doesn't matter. You have sinned, but you say you didn't. Or you say your son didn't. Or your daughter didn't. Or whatever. But that's confession. It's personal. And you say from the poet, well, Pastor, you know, you get a little, sometimes you get a little worked up. Sometimes you get a little nasty. You start rebuking people. You start making people feel uncomfortable. You start convicting people and all that stuff. Hey, I'm doing my job. That's what Paul tells Timothy to do. You must not only encourage, you must stand there and rebuke and admonish and correct and inform. If you're not doing that, if you're just leaving that up, you're like, you know, Joel Olson doesn't want to talk about hell. So all the truths about hell and all those scriptures just go past them. All the negativity that's in this world, the hell that's in this world, just goes by them. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to preach about it. Okay. Forget about it. No, you have to point out and point up you people. The congregation of Calvary Church, the people of Calvary Church, including their pastor, have done this sin and that sin. And that. You have to confess it like that. It has to be a heart matter. It's a personal matter. It's not just a dogma. It's not just a theological point. It's not just a reformed Presbyterian position. This is a Christian This is the gospel. Okay. So what's it mean to confess? It's personal. It hits between the eyes. Bloody as the nose sometimes. Step on toes. Convince, convict people. Maybe even get them angry because they don't like to commit that they, have, they, they confess that they have sinned. But rather say, I have not. Because that's our nature. <clears throat> Confession of sin is uh, not just an abstract thing, but it's a concrete evaluation. As you know, the world can say, yeah, I've sinned, or I've done things wrong, and boast about it. We don't boast about it necessarily. We say, well, I haven't done it. Well, we rationalize it away. <clears throat> but the, the meaning of the word that's used here and elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, the, the meaning of the Greek word that John uses here in, uh, in verse 9. You know what it means? Literally? It means to bear testimony with someone. That's literally what it means. It means to to give a testimony or to bear testimony with someone. That's a confession. You testify with someone this truth. Two or three witnesses kind of thing. Who's the someone? Well... You know, I sinned against my, my kids. I don't care when I sin against them. No. Uh, I promised that I would do something with my children. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it was. But, you know, I promised this. 
And then I got lazy and I decided that, uh, well, I changed my mind. I'm not going to do it. I've sinned. So I go to them and I, I tell my son or my daughter or all of them, look, I, I, I know I made this promise. I, I forgot. I didn't really forget, so I lied. So I sinned again. Uh, and, but I'm, I'm sorry and I'm not going to do it again because that's not right. If I say I'm going to do something and you know, unforese- unforeseen things happen, then that's, that's beyond my control. That's one thing. But if I make a promise, that's why we seldom made promises when we were growing the kids. Very rarely made a promise. Do you promise? I'm not going to promise. I made that clear a number of times. not going to promise because I don't know the future. And things can happen, and wisdom teaches you that. You don't make promises you cannot keep, and you don't know the future, so you can't keep many promises. And there's no excuse to say, I made a promise, but I didn't foresee this. I'm sorry about that. That's not the excuse. But you see, that's not what we're talking about. The someone that you're testifying with is not your wife that you may have sinned against and you talk through or your children that you broke a promise with and you have to apologize and all that stuff. The person that you're confessing with is none, no one less than God. You make confession to God. And when you go to God and you start making confession to Him... For the sin that you did. Walking in the light, you come to this point where the light has exposed your sin and you go to God and you testify in his presence because you're in a relationship, a covenant relationship with him and you confess this to him. You find out very quickly, we all know this doctrinally already, but you find out very quickly that this is the sin that Jesus took to the cross and nailed there, nailed him there because of my sin that I committed today or yesterday or whenever and nailed him to the cross. And you find out that at the cross, God did not lovingly Except his sacrifice. He poured forth his entire wrath upon his son. His hatred for sin was so severe that he poured to the dregs all his wrath against sin. Jesus' sin? No, my sin. And so I find out that God hates sin so very much that he sacrificed his own son because of it. That is terrible. And what that does, in me, I realize that I am a damn worthy person. I deserve nothing but eternal flames. Because God hates sin. And he hates it so much that he poured forth his wrath upon his son and killed him dead, dead, dead. And so I deserve nothing. 
in this world and certainly in the next. Nothing. Zero. I don't even deserve to be alive. None of us do. And what this does, when we confess our sin like and, and testify to God our sin, who hates sin, and we're in the light, we, we, we step back. And like the thief on, and, and like the, the publican, cry, be merciful to me, Lord, a sinner. Merciful to me. That's confession. That's what John means by this word confess here in 1 John. How many have thought about that? Did you, did you read that when you, when you skimmed through it? No. But that's what it's meant. And so it brings us to our knees. It brings us to humility, crying out for mercy. Well, there's two ways to go now. Take in the truth or take in the lie. The truth says uh, that God is not a truth, the truth. I am the way, the truth, and not a truth, but the truth. And we're talking about the lie. Now, the truth says that this is my God, that he is my goodness, that he is my love, that I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and might, that he is ever kind, that he is ever merciful, that he is ever forgiving and cleansing for all his children. He loves all his children to the uttermost because he is good, because he is lovely, because he is merciful, because he is kind, because he forgives. The lie says, on the other hand, which is our nature, in our nature, in our fallen nature, the lie says, nah, he's not all good. He's not all glorious. He's not all wonderful. He's not good. In fact, I'm the master of my own destiny. I'm going to live my life my own way. I'm going to make my own choices. I am going to ac- accomplish all that I need to accomplish on my own, with a little help from my friends, maybe. I don't really need to worship God on the Lord's Day. I don't really need to pray and devote myself to him each and every day. I don't really need to study his word. I don't really need this, that, and the other thing that the Bible says. I can do this on my own. I, I'm going I'm to... I'm going to go to school. I'm going to do well in school. I'm going, to set, I'm going to set for my career. I'm going to make some money. I'm going to buy a house, a car. I'm going to have some kids. I'm going to live a comfortable life. All my, and then maybe when I have my kids, I'll bring them to Sunday school and maybe I'll go to church. The lie. The darkness. Your nature says this. You know it. You can identify with that. In fact, that's what you've done. Isn't it? 
Well, maybe your kids have done it. Or are doing it. Looking for success in this world. According to the world's ways. Well, what's wrong with that, right? The lie. The darkness. Doing it virtually without God. Maybe a little bit of God here, but pretty much on our own. That's our nature. That's in our heart. That's working from the inside out in all of us. There is no difference there. That is saying, in effect, when we're making our plans and we're not submitting them to the Lord, when the most important thing in our life is our future successes and whatever, we are saying, in effect, I have no sin. Because that's sinful, that's idolatry. That's going the world's way. That's going the way of darkness. And it's in effect saying, I have no sin. Well, the godless, they do this. They're not going to escape, but that's what they do every day of their life. They're, you know, neighbors. Yeah, I mean, you know them too. They're right across the street. They're right they don't. Even darken the church, the door of the church. They have not a care in their head. They're whatever they're doing right now. Maybe they're going to later on go shopping somewhere. They're not a thought about God in their head. And yet, some of them, yeah, I know Christ. I believe in Christ. I believe in Jesus. And why don't you go to church? Or why don't you read the Bible and study? Or why don't uh, you, know, you, you submit your views to other? Iron sharpens iron, as the proverb says. Why don't you do all that? Well, it's just me and my Bible. In other words, you're saying, I have no sin. Now, the ungodly, they think they're getting away with it. But, you know, this even happens with us. That, uh, that we, you know, we sin, we do something wrong, we might go home and forget about this sermon or want to forget about this sermon or whatever because the pastor was a little unclear to me or whatever, whatever the excuse may be. And what happens? When we hold our sin in, what happens? Well, as the psalmist says, and this is a versification of Psalm 32, while I kept guilty silence, my strength was spent with grief. Thy hand was heavy on me. My soul found no relief. When we don't expose ourselves with God and testify that we have sinned, specifically, personally, privately perhaps, sinned, what happens? It hardens us. Hardens our conscience. We can see it. Sometimes you can see it in a person's face and demeanor. They're hard. They look mean or nasty or not very friendly, not very warm, not very sociable. They're holding their sin, they're keeping silent. And they're hardening themselves. Works that way. It's not always that way with people. Some people just, you know, just cranky because they're sick or something. But 
A lot of people are cranky and nasty and belligerent and, uh, you know, speak ill of other people. Dignitaries, more honorable than they are, they put them down. Why? Because they're holding their own sin in. And it hardens them. They don't see it. <clears throat> but the wonder of his grace is that uh, he, he, his spirit is in us. And it, it sort of forces a control. It enlightens our mind. It converts our soul. It changes our will. It causes the light to shine upon us. The favor of God in us. His kindness. His righteousness. And we desire to express our sin. And when we do... We say that, yes, I have sinned, and I confess my sin, and I no longer de- uh, de- I'm no longer deceiving myself that I haven't sinned, and that the reason why I'm such a grumpy person, I'm such an angry person, or I'm so, I'm so uh, standoffish with people, is because of my sin, because of my sinful attitude, because of my desires for myself and for my own, maybe, but not towards them. My, my just detachment from other people. And once I realize and I confess that, what happens when I own my trespass, my sin hid not from thee, when I confess my transgression, then thou forgavest me. And when forgiveness comes in, what comes in with that is cleansing. And finally, we've arrived at that, where if we confess our faults, our sins... Don't rationalize them away. Don't make excuses for them or for the sins of our children or our grandchildren. That's what we like to do. We all do it. Uh, When we don't, if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness and cleansing comes in. Talk about a psychological cleansing. Talk about freedom of conscience and of mind and of heart and of spirit. My, oh my. I want this, Lord. Let me tell you what Huxima says here in this article. He says, forgiveness and cleansing. The guilt is completely taken away. That is forgiveness. The guilt is completely taken away. That is forgiveness. The stain of unrighteousness is completely taken away. That is cleansing. Get a little more specific here. I am damn worthy. You know, damn the one, condemned. I'm damn worthy and God does not damn me. For he does not impute sin to me. Justification. That is forgiveness. I am defiled and under the bondage of sin. The prison of sin. And God liberates me. That is cleansing. That's definitive sanctification. I am an object of wrath and God grants me his favor. That is forgiveness. I am in bonds of sin and death. And God breaks the bonds and gives me life. That is cleansing. You see the difference? You need both. You can't separate them. If a person wants forgiveness, automatically he's going to want to also be cleansed. Because he's going to want to live a holy life so he can confess his sin and find more forgiveness and more cleansing. If he does not want the cleansing, he does not want forgiveness because he doesn't need to be cleansed from anything, right? I don't have anything to confess. So why do I need any cleansing? It's only through forgiveness. Only through confession of our sin and receiving forgiveness from, our, uh, from the Lord 
Jesus Christ, that we want the cleansing from us and so that we can live the holy life. And there's more, but I think I've, I've said enough. I don't think you've seen all this in, this, in these verses on your own. It, it's not, it, it, it's there, but we'll, you know, when we read the scripture, we skip over things. Uh, we want to get to the next chapter, the next, and the next. And so you have to linger on these things quite a bit and find out that there's a lot to this confession and forgiveness and cleansing and the whole spiritual, psychological mindset behind this. These are rich, rich verses. This is the kind of thing, the way of confession. In the way of the confession, there is always forgiveness and always cleansing. Walking in the light is going to lead you to confession. And confession of your sin is going to lead forgiveness and cleansing. And that is going to bring you into a proper mind and mindset. Then, as Huxima points out, we hunger and thirst and are satisfied. Then we seek and we find. Then we see God's friendly face in the light and find unspeakable bliss. Let us pray. Heavenly Lord Jesus, what a, what a team of verses here. And these verses 8 and 9 are so rich. And we're thankful that we have the ability to look into them and see their worth somewhat. And now we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would forgive us our, our ways, our chosen blindness, our, our sinfulness, and that instead, Lord, we would take seriously every day of our lives the sin that so easily binds us and confess it and find the rich, rich benefit of forgiveness and cleansing. These things we pray in the wonderful name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.